podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. This is the Whistleblowers. I'm Martin Gritton, back on duty, as you might have guessed from the accent. Uh, we're spanning the country this week uh, for our guests from London to Lancashire. Like a Pendolino, we have whistleblower regular, set pieces editor, football writer, football league specialist, and Blackburn fan Matt Stanger. Hi, Matt. Good evening, man. My fool, that wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, quite generous. <laughs> I, very generous, but I think generous with the amount of words rather than kind of the the, the content because uh, all speaking about the same thing generally football related. Yeah, I suppose all connected. Yeah. yeah. Facts are not mentioned China. No, no, well, you shouldn't, well, you, you brought up yourself there. Well, uh, the next guest is another whistleblower regular, uh, author, football writer, Chelsea aficionado and expert, we might say, Gary Hayes. Well, you, you've gone up one from Matt for me there. <laughs> well, I think filmmaker. Sound a lot better than what I am. We got filmmaker last when, time, didn't we? Uh, yeah, no, well, documentary maker. Documentary. Yeah, because I'm doing that yeah. documentary at the moment, but... Um, Yes, thanks for having yeah, me on. No, welcome, and uh, thanks very much for, for joining us tonight. Um, just a reminder, this season we've teamed up with Labrooks, and we'll be bringing you plenty of specials. Our first is bet £5, get 20 This means if you deposit £5, Labrooks will add another 20 to your account. As you listen to this podcast, you can get this by following the link at bet.thewhistleblowers.net, and we'll be tweeting that, so you'll be able to click on that in the link. Um, guys, it's been another uh, interesting weekend. Were you, were you at the game at the weekend, Gary? The Chelsea uh, game? Unfortunately not, because uh, I've been on NFL duty. But um, yep. I was watching it on TV and it was very um, end-to-end, shall we say. Yeah, it was. It was It was interesting, wasn't it? I just literally... And I, I was listening to the reports and the reports being that Watford should have... Oh, yeah, it should have been, been the other way around, the score. Yeah. It, it was a surprise as well because, you know, on the back of what happened against Roma where Chelsea were... You know, play outplayed for large spells. Um, you, you thought that on the back of that they wouldn't, you know, get bitten twice, and they did. And it was the same mistakes from Roma that have really, you know, fallen back to the Palace defeat and the City defeat before that, where they've got a real issue in midfield where yep. they're not pressing enough, and players have got a lot of freedom in order to to play the ball. And you see that the goals that I know there was a uh, the, the throwing and all the rest of it for the first goal, but the way that Watford were coming through Chelsea. You know that they're real, and it's not. I don't think it's because Kante's missing either. I think that it was an issue yeah. when he was there as well. But um, yeah, they've got you know big well, problems in that central area, and it's leading to so much elsewhere. Do you, uh, Matt, do you think uh, just even f- uh, not discrediting Chelsea too much, but saying that let's credit Watford a little bit with that because they've they're getting a lot of things right. Yeah, he did a great job, but whole last season, Marco Silva, and I think he's putting in a good audition for, for another step up in the next like, couple of years. <laughs> exactly, I mean, people, it feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. people are talking about Arsenal even potentially after uh, the way that they played against Chelsea and the form they've been uh, playing in this season. And yeah, like Gary said, they uh, they had quite a few chances. Rich Allison missed a couple of yeah, well, he, sitters, really. Yeah, yeah he, he should have had two. Um, they scored one immediately after that, but then the header as well, where if he had scored that, it would have been 3-1, and like Anna Smith said in commentary, it would have been game over. And I really like Silver's sides because um, they play without any fear, really. You know, yeah. it's Watford going you know, going into the home of the champions, and they should really be, be going there feeling apprehensive, but they didn't look apprehensive at all, and they, they really took the game to Chelsea, and they played some really good football. Do you think that comes off the back of seeing that teams have got into Chelsea this year more than they did last year or that Conte is more of a known quantity or because or, obviously last year there was a lot of grinding there was a lot of winning games that were 
um, hard fought and uh, this year it's been a little bit different for him in terms of personnel certainly and also his demeanour and attitude yeah I think that, that there's probably an element of that and I think looking at it from a Chelsea perspective is that I think there's been a lot of change this year where the manager last season after the um, yeah, the, the slow start in August September the first game against Hull mm. I think that was um, one of Silva's first games wasn't it yeah, or, was, or was Fielder yeah, still absolutely. in chance yeah. but um, when he changed to the 3-4-3 three, three there and, and Chelsea you know, came away winners and then went on that 13 match winning streak that he, he sort of settled on that uh, system and he was comfortable with it whereas now he's got players like Bakayoko in and I think he's unsure of what his best system is because you saw on Saturday that he played the 3-4-3 um, the three, three to start off with then he made some subs where you know he, he switched things up a little bit more um, and he played like three or four systems in one game yeah. and by hook or by crook they won the game and I think yeah. it was credit to him and that he was trying to work out how to win it and he did but he's not been able to be consistent he doesn't year, seem as he? confident in one system anymore no. and I think that at one point it looked like it was going to be a strength for Chelsea because they could be so adaptable but I think now you're getting players unsure what their positions are that you know going back to the Roma game that um, when Fascio puts that ball into Dzeko for what was an, an incredible goal yeah no, the Chelsea players almost looking at each other, thinking who should be pressing him right now because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not sure of what their roles are in that yeah. in that midfield. Yeah, quite they yet. were never really passive like that last season. Where yeah. Fazio wouldn't have got the time to ping exactly. pass thirty yards over the top of the defence. And yeah. it happened exactly the same against City, where um, Otamendi had the ball and it wasn't a ping over the top to to expose the back line, but it was that ball into the Bruna which exposed Fabregas, and then you know the yeah. Bruna did his thing. But it's, it's an issue in that central area that's really pun- punishing Chelsea right now. And weirdly, the one that they've probably spent more on the you know in the last two seasons in terms of personnel that they brought in I mean like they brought like Drinkwater in they brought um, Kante in you know they brought people in that should be able to plug that gap and obviously Fabregas has come back to some extent but it's yeah. you know well you know, yeah and they sold Chalabar to Watford I know he's uh, injured at the moment yeah. but you know he could have been someone perhaps done a job and you know has that desire really to make a name for himself and uh, to you know to kickstart his career so perhaps you know they, they let a little bit of hunger and like youthful enthusiasm go in the summer yeah because I, I, it's, it's inter- I'm glad you said Chaloba instead of Matic because um, I don't see Matic as being a loss in the slightest yeah. um, I think what they've done is they, they sold him for 40 million for, for very good money for good a business. 29 yeah. year old and they replaced him with a guy who was 22 at the time in Bakayoko so like for like they've you know because they got 40 million they paid 40 million for Bakayoko so it was almost a, a trade for, you know one for one so I think the future's looking better in that area. But like you say, Chaloba's a player that you look at and there's a hint of regret because right now, you know, in the way that Christensen has, has had opportunities this year with Cahill being suspended and Louise being suspended, it's an ideal time for him to come in and, and show him what he's capable of because I think he showed before he got injured, especially at Watford this year, that he, he could offer something to his Chelsea side. Well, let's, let's move on to another team at playing blue that aren't doing so well at the minute. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're perhaps the biggest story of the weekend, Koeman is aff he's off down wherever he's off to next but that was a capitulation against Arsenal and are you are you surprised Matt by what happened yeah I think Arsenal had, had the highest number of shots on target for, for a team away from home in the first half um, of any game this season so, right? so even though they were losing and you know Rooney put Everton ahead um, they uh, they still like looked pretty good for the win even when it wasn't going so well for him so yeah it was a pretty terrible performance from Everton and and the kind of performance that's been coming really I mean they've been sort of struggling along for um, mm. the whole season uh, I know there's two ways to look at it in some ways it's you know he only had nine games what can he do in that amount of time and they did fairly well last season in his first season there 
but then he was given 140 yeah, million. That's not an excuse. Um, yeah, he, yeah had, he had the chance to bring the person. Don't you think it's more that he didn't know who to play, or, or he just didn't play the right combination? Because he didn't seem to have bad business as bad well. Bad business. Yeah, bad business. I, I think they signed good players, but they've signed too many players that are the same. No. You know, and spending the sort of money they did on Sigurdsson when they've got other players that could play in that mm. position, that you're just looking, you think, where's the variety? Where, where's the squad balance? They, they never signed a replacement for Lukaku. You can't let yeah. a 30 goal season uh, striker leave and not make that your number one priority to replace him. And, you know, even at the end of the window, they brought Rooney in and, you know, with, with respect to Rooney, everyone knows that he's not nowhere near what he used to be at now. And, uh, you know, his, his legs are, have, have almost gone. And I think they, they signed Vlasic, who, so they played against uh, Hajduk Split in um, the the uh, Europa League qualifying. And this Vlasic impressed. And I always just yeah. think that that shows like a lack of foresight because yeah. you're signing a guy who impressed against you, but surely you should have like four or five options in the, yeah. the long run. They yeah. got Sandro as well, and he's not really kicked on yet or, or settled. It's a, lack, it's a lack of understanding how to use those players. Because I think I, you talk about Rooney. Rooney was more, should have been an icing on the cake sort of situation where it's like, well, it's nice to have him. But Sigurdsson's let him down as a footballer. Like Sigurdsson at Swansea had the ability to win matches for Swansea on his own. And obviously it's difficult for him to Especially, go in there. Yeah, because the, the game was played through him, whereas at Evan it, it yeah. isn't. And I think what's interesting that's as well, well is that's, that. That's the difference, isn't yeah. it? Again, bad management. But but also as well, that it's, it's interesting because Everton are a club that, have never really been associated with money to go on a transfer spend like they have. And even when they sold stones for 50 million to, to city, you didn't see him going out and, you know, spending the money. So, you know, willingly yeah. as they have been now. And they've always, I don't know, they've always had like a, a fiscal responsibility there. Whereas Bill Kenwright and his plays down here, probably, I think, you know, <laughs> as, as long but, as you've got someone to pay money into. But then you, you look at it now and it, it just reminds me a bit of Spurs when they sold Bale, where suddenly they had all this money and they thought, wow, you know what? And they signed, yeah. um, was it seven or eight players Magnificent seven, that's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, you know, and how many, it's only Lamella that's there now, isn't it? Well, Paulinho is at Barcelona now. So. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, they, they went on this massive spend and it really damaged the whole squad dynamic and I think that's what a club like Everton really has relied on throughout the years and they, they've lost it by this huge yeah. influx of players. Wenger said that summer when Spurs signed so many players, he said, you know, it might upset the balance and people always laugh at Wenger and say how reluctant he is to do business but he said two or three players that's the ideal number that you can kind of integrate into the first yeah, yeah. and uh, and it didn't work for Spurs and you think Everton would learn from that because also that money was not going to go anywhere I mean just certainly if you yeah. don't get yeah. your Lukaku replacement don't go and spend like 45 million on but, Sigurdsson or you know but, whoever but that's, else it's, 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 a, it's an appeasement thing isn't it and also you get the comp- you get the feeling that he almost felt like that needed to get his team across the line because, well, without that, this team isn't complete. Because let's not forget that when they signed Sigurdsson, it was like, that's the last piece of the jigsaw. That's this, you know, and everyone's happy with that narrative. And then they just kind of go, well, maybe next week will be better. And well, then, now, you know, yeah, now the jigsaw's smashed all over the kitchen floor. Yeah, isn't it? Different jigsaws. It's like you're 10 different jigsaws he's got pieces for, unfortunately. They're not, they're not making up one, one thing. Yeah, I, I laugh when. Uh, Tuchel was linked to them because I just look at everything, everything team, the complete lack of pace throughout the squad, and I just think you want to hire a guy at Dortmund who built a side that was all about running and about movement. And a team and where Rooney's going to be spearheading it. It's, it, it. It has to be Dice for that job because Dice will look at those players. One, he's not going to like ask for a lot more money to reshape the squad. He's going to go in and be like, "Yeah, these are better than the players I've worked with at Burnley. I know exactly what to do here." And he will get the best out of Sigurdsson, like yeah. like Swansea did. And um, you know, he'll he'll definitely get more out of Rooney. And and he'll get the best at Michael Keane as well. He spent thirty million on him. He's you know Dyche's player. Dyche, that's very true. And don't you think though, if the if the decision was made by the majority 
shareholder, which he was, and he wasn't the guy that had to deliver that news to Cumin. Wouldn't he have the biggest say in who replaces him? And, and do you think he'd want to have someone that's kind of not just Premier League proven, but is a name on the international? Because you get the fear that Ancelotti could be the one that kind of Imagine. emerges. But that's the thing. And you know, what's your experience in, at, at Chelsea with Ancelotti? Was it a case of just a caretaker coming in and just take, making no, no, things take over? When I said that about Imagine, I was thinking, what would Ancelotti be doing going there? You know, and, <laughs> okay. and I, I don't mean that to be, you know... Um, derogatory. Yeah, derogatory yeah. To, to Everton. I just think that Everton, have, in the same way as Chelsea, where um, you know, Chelsea have got by on a certain type of regardless of the money they've had since Abramovich came in they've got buy on a certain type of player and they've got you know they've been most successful with a certain type of manager and when they try to change it up and be a bit more flashy that's when they sort of you know hit the wall and you know especially with AVB yeah. and you look at Everton you think the culture of that club they don't need an Ancelotti you know they, they need a man of substance because that's what that club's about you know yeah, it's a club it with great tradition correct you know they've been in the, the top flight for so long they've had so many near misses of you know just avoiding relegation and the rest of it they rebuilt and Koeman did a good job last year but then at the same time you know, when you mention Sean Dyche you look in you do think that it's a, he's a sort of man that is made for that club yeah because yeah. he, he, not only does he he understand how to get the best out of players in a situation like they're in but he understands what the club's about and I think sometimes for, for clubs like Everton that not to be xenophobic in any sense but when they look overseas it's not necessarily the right fit because it's someone who doesn't really understand the culture of Merseyside That's very and true, yeah. what Everton represents, to, you know, to the community and to you know to the wider English football, you know, footballing public. I think that, I think yeah. if they do hire Tuchel, I could honestly see them struggling as well because to bring in a guy who plays a completely different style of football to Kerman halfway through the season with no preseason, no time to really get his ideas across. It's a DeBoer, doesn't it? It's yeah, DeBoer fit, isn't it? It'll that be, doesn't. It'll be really work. difficult to get them to buy into what he wants to do and to suddenly start clapping. Because the confidence will be so low as well. I mean, that, that thrashing against Arsenal at the weekend. Yeah, it, it was a doing, wasn't it? It was a proper doing. I mean, listen, let, let's move. I want to move away from that one because it's kind of been done. But in terms of what's next for Koeman, do you think? Well, this even talk Barcelona, about Leicester. He Leicester. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wants Barcelona. Uh, just tuck in. Just tuck in at a, yeah. a, another <laughs> job there. Uh, no, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, I mean, he's... Obviously, a guy with ridiculously high ambitions because Barcelona has been a job he's wanted yeah. ever since he played there. Um, Dutch job. <laughs> well, yeah, the Dutch job. The that's a tricky one. I could see him going to Italy, you know, and uh, maybe like into Milan or somewhere like that. Yeah, I mean, Inter are doing pretty well this season. AC, AC Milan's a possible option as well because they haven't started brilliantly considering how much money they spent in, in the summer. So basically, he might inherit someone else's expensively assembled yeah. squad and have to work out what to uh, do with that. Well, we'll see what happens with him. And then, listen, there was another really interesting game at the weekend. There was a couple of interesting games, but in terms of subject matter for this podcast that um, has been a recurring theme, uh, Jurgen Klopp's uh, not capitulation, but he was kind of exposed to his most Wenger Mark II, isn't it? <laughs> Wenger, Wenger of the North, <laughs> Wenger of the North. <laughs> he's a manager that promises so much. Winter's and coming at the moment. Yeah, but at the moment he's delivering nothing. He's, he's, it's frustrating because I like him. I like him as a character, and yeah. I like what he try. You know, his, his footballing philosophy and what he's trying to do. But then I know it's just stats, and you can't really look too much into it. But you, when they were making the comparison between him and Rodgers and the fact that Rodgers, it's only slightly, but Rodgers has got a better record after the same amount of games that you look at it and you think that two years into his job now, you'd expect Klopp to be having more of an influence. He's got those big, big problems at defence that he hasn't addressed or that Liverpool haven't addressed. Yes. 
And I just think that it's naive for him to know that he's got this frailty at the back, so he plays the way he does still. I just that's, think that... Well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you haven't got the personnel, he hasn't, addressed, he hasn't addressed it tactically, you know, and, and because the... The if for me the Premier League is the strength is the strikers and and the fact that those they must their mouths must be watering playing against that back four I mean I'd even fancy my chances of getting at least one half shot <laughs> through but this this is what I mean about you know Wenger Mark too in that he's a guy who is far more affable than Wenger but he's got his ideal he's got his fundamentals what he believes football's about and he just sticks to it regardless which yeah. is what Wenger's been doing in the, the, the past decade which has been to Arsenal's detriment I think at the moment that is to Liverpool yeah there, there was that quote from Cesc Fabregas about 10 years ago and it gets wheeled out every single time you know Arsenal have a bad performance against one of the, the big clubs in the Premier League or Champions League or Europa League um, mm. but yeah it's a quote from Fabregas basically saying we never really watch what the opposition do we never uh, line up to try and counter any of their yeah. their approach or their system. Uh, we always just focus on our own game because Wenger believes in the character of his squad, like he says all the time. And it's a similar thing at Liverpool because Tottenham are flying at the moment and they're a brilliant team. And Harry Kane in the form that he's in, mm. you know, perhaps they should have been a bit more cautious. And you know, a draw wouldn't have been terrible at Wembley. No, this is it. And and if it, it wasn't even a leap of faith for you to look at Harry Kane and go, if you don't try and stop him in a old-fashioned way either man marking him or slotting an extra man centre half you're stupid because the guy is literally if he has a chance he'll score and I'm not saying that he's going to beat three men and score like kind of create some incredible bit of finesse he's just going to score a goal if it comes to him in the box you know and he did they got the own goal against Real Madrid in the Champions League because of his movement you know he's he's just someone who like goals are around him all the time and he he just creates just to talk about preparation of teams and you know, no, no one's come out and spoken at length about how Liverpool prepare but it was an interesting piece by um, Miguel Delaney um, in the Independent on the back of the, the Liverpool United draw and he said that um, Jose's comments after said a lot about him as a manager yeah. and I think that when you start looking at it a bit more I think that it said a lot about Klopp as a manager I think you know because he, he was waiting he, he said I was waiting on Liverpool to make a mistake yeah. And that's why he didn't go for the game in a certain way because he, he wanted to play this game of averages where they're going to give something away at some point and then we'll snap and we'll get the point. Obviously, it backfired on him yeah. you know, and, and they that's drew nil-nil. But I think that when you look at Klopp's side, I think that's what it is, is that they have those mistakes in them. Obviously, you know, United didn't capitalise on it, but then Spurs, you know, did four times, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, you know, just powered, powered through them. If yeah. any, if anything, those Liverpool players know more than ever now because by hauling Lovren off in the first half, you know that that destroys the defender's confidence. Hell I mean, yeah. these yeah. players you just can't take off. And um, yeah, I think the Liverpool team now are just going to think, "God, we know we're weak at the back. We, yeah. we, you know, it's it's yeah. a real problem for us." And so they'll go We've into try out scoring teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you could do that. You mentioned Rodgers' record, and it was he did have a great record there, but he had Suarez. And yeah, I was saying, he had one of the best strikers yeah, yeah. the game has ever seen. I know, Suarez that's what I'm saying. Incredible. I know the stats can inflate a certain opinion. You can twist them a little bit to you know to form a logic. But yeah, he had a peak Suarez and a peak Sturridge, and yeah. Klopp's never had that. Suarez was basically Salah, Firmino, and. Coutinho Only rolled one. into yeah. one, yeah. yeah, with a real nasty streak as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. but I th- well, that's the thing. I've, I've, from my experience as a player, I've seen players get taken off after. I mean, he'll go in unnamed, but I've seen I got saw a player get taken off after twenty one minutes uh, for one of the Sheffield teams after getting just one of the most 
you know, abusive grillings from not just his home fans, but like kind of teammates, the management, and like kind of it ends your career. It can be a real, and I, I wouldn't yeah. surprise me. I mean, the the whole stuff about Lover and social media that you know taking all Liverpool off loads of things. I don't know. I don't know how true these things are, but it it can send you under, you know, as a player, and it it sows the seed of doubt. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I know that. Magnilly, I've heard it said, you know, having a goalkeeper behind a back four that they don't have confidence in and the, the, the back four don't have... I mean, if anything, someone like Peter Cech's given that Arsenal for, back four confidence, but it works the other way. You know, there can be a negative space that they can leave by making the odd mistake. That almost sums it up, actually, for Liverpool. The fact that he signed Carrius and, you know, his plan was to, to switch goalkeepers last season and he tried it in a couple of games and it didn't really work and it sort of shows that his plans around strengthening the defence and the goalkeeper, you know, haven't, haven't taken off. Um, it's also the ignorance to just stick with it, knowing what the problems are, but it's just, it will work because I'm going to make it work. You yeah. know? There was that great tweet actually after the game. Uh, someone said, Pochettino made Lovren look so good at Southampton that Liverpool paid £30 million for him, and now he's made him look so bad that Klopp's hauling him off after <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> well, listen, let's, let's come back to that after the break because there's some interesting uh, matchups this weekend in, involving those guys. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Welcome back. Uh, as before the break, we were just chatting about uh, Liverpool and Spurs. Uh, we're going to continue with that because this weekend there's an interesting matchup. Matt, you, we were speaking about this beforehand. Do you want to pass some information on? Yeah, well, it's if Klopp's under pressure, it's his best mate that could pile uh, a bit more on him this weekend. L- Liverpool host uh, Huddersfield. And probably not a really good time to be playing Huddersfield because they, they no. weren't scoring. They lost a couple of games there. They weren't playing particularly well after that great start to the season. And then they go and beat Man United. So they're going to be full of confidence it's right amazing. now. Amazing. Yeah. And Wagner and Klopp have quite a, a long standing relationship. They played together at Mainz. Then they worked together for four years at Dortmund uh, before, before Klopp moved over. And then Wagner followed. Yeah. yeah. And they were actually. Um, Wagner was best man at Klopp's wedding, so they even wear the same glasses. I mean, you know. oh, and they, that M M sixty two connection—that's kind of the northern football. The M sixty two corridor, the corridor, is still producing. But yeah, that's. I like um, I like Wagner. I, yeah. um, I went to watch um, Ipswich Huddersfield last season because I wanted. I was on the Casey Palmer trail, but he was he was injured that day, so I had to sit down and watch this bore, boring, boring game. But it was more because of Ipswich. And um, you know, I'd made a big deal out, you know, because my Chelsea following that I was there to watch Casey, and he, he didn't play. Um, but then at the end, I, and after the press conferences, I was tweeted that I'd seen the past and the future, and Mick McCarthy was, you know, the the former because just seeing the way they set up Huddersfield, you know, it's, it's the one time I've seen them at close quarters, you know, and I know it's only the Championship, but. Um, you know, the way you'd set that team up and the way they they they, they ended up winning one 0 as Aaron Moy, I think, scored. And um, it was just really impressive. And in, in, in his press conference after, you could just see that the way he conducts himself, he was very much a manager for modern times. And, you know, that contrast with Mick McCarthy, yeah. and, you know, he was so aggressive towards the media and, you know, so dismissive. Whereas, you know, Wagner, okay, he, he had just won, so he was going to be more jovial and affable yeah, anyway. Yeah. But I just like the way he conducts himself. And, you know, he's not embarrassed about playing a certain way. He's, no. You know, that's what I value in a manager so much is that, 
they know where their weaknesses are and they'll address them. And you saw against United, the way that he played against United and, you know, they benefited brilliant. from, you know, um, Storm Brian as well, didn't they? Well, I, I know you don't mean it in a derogatory <laughs> way when you say, um, like, only the championship. Yeah, no, because, what, what I mean no, is no, the, what you mean it's, it's, it's not the same... The same uh, level when it comes correct. to tactics and everything else. But that's... But, and and to the, if anything, that's these credit. I mean, for a man that, you know, you watch a lot of football league, I've seen Blackburn having to toil in that league many times, but it's his understanding and his enjoyment his enjoyment after Man U game I mean the fact that he was so you know he was so bubbly after it yeah we had an, um, an interview actually with him on a set pieces last year and it was about halfway through the season so Huddersfield were in a promotion race at this stage and he said whenever he arrived you know he spoke to his assistant he's like what are we going to do here how are we going to approach right. it and he said look let's just go for it you know let's let's do our thing let's not fake this let's not pretend and try and play pragmatic football and do something we're not you know mm. we're, we're, we've got Borussia Dortmund DNA in us we're going to play like an yeah, attacking yeah. attractive style and they just went full throttle that was the words he said let's go full <laughs> throttle and uh, and that's what he did and uh, well, it's got him up to yeah. the Premier League and, and I thought it was really interesting what Gary said actually about going to that game and seeing the contrast between those two managers because they probably had squads with similar level of talent when Very Wagner so. took over yeah. and it's a lot of it is about you approaching I think for Mick McCarthy like the difficult thing there is that he's been in the game for so much time that it does grind you down a bit and you know the expectations and, every, and the media and all the little battles whereas Wagner came with a complete fresh perspective and yeah, whenever he goes to Anfield uh, at the weekend, it's it's you know it's it's something that 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 whole team are full of confidence, yeah. and it could it could be a shot for Liverpool, definitely. Yeah, no, that's a really I, I, I like that point as well because Mick McCarthy's someone that no one can really dislike out uh, in the kind of larger football world, but for for the media and for understanding the game, you know, there's no real nothing you know no one stands on ceremony it's like you literally you're only as good as your last game, and I hate that cliche, but against Wagner and people like that that. They're going to get found out, you know, if they if they come up against new guys, and that's how it should be, you know, there should always be the new blood coming through. So, it, as the student v the master though this weekend, yeah, what, how do you, you see it panning out? Well, that game, yeah, um, I, I could see. I think Liverpool missed Mane massively. They missed him last season, yeah. and they tried to sign like Salah is almost a replacement for Mane. He's not quite as intelligent, I don't think, in terms of the runs that he picks. I mean, Mane's. You know, Man United wanted him a couple of years ago and everyone was surprised by that. But having watched him play he's a lot at Southampton, yeah, yeah he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant player. And I mean, did he saw Red Bull Salzburg, he probably would have ended up at RB Leipzig given how many <laughs> players go between those two clubs. But um, but yeah, I, I think Liverpool will struggle again. Huddersfield probably play quite a low block and look to uh, counter-attack a bit like they did against That's Man United. That's why I think Salah will struggle. Yeah, I don't, they won't, yeah, they won't afford experience. him the space. Yeah. yeah, you were saying to Gary, from his time at Chelsea I know yeah he started off okay at Liverpool you know and he's, he's got a couple of goals but I just think that he is one of those players that when you say about the intelligence if he can't get in behind defenders he, a bit like Sterling he thinks well what am I going to do mm. you know because he doesn't have that that close skill to get himself out of tight areas all the yeah. time you know he'll do it at times but to be consistently a threat in the way that Mane is where he can get in behind but also he can bully defenders he can play in front of them whereas Salah's a you know, a winger in the traditional sense where I want to sit on and just break yeah, you know, beyond yeah. the player. And I think that, you know, again, sorry to make a Chelsea reference, but because yeah. he was at Chelsea, you know, I always made the comparison with Robin in that Robin played with Duff in this way where Chelsea in that first season, 04, 05, were completely destroying teams. But then 05, 06, Chelsea didn't really score as many goals and had to yeah. grind more games out because teams weren't so, so deep, uh, were sitting deeper against Chelsea and Robin wasn't as effective and I think that's the problem with Salah is that he doesn't have that intelligence to... I know Robin's gone on to you know to do great things, but just a comparison with Salah is that he's at that stage where 
if, unless he can get beyond the player by hit and run, I don't think there's much more to his game. Yeah, and he, he plays very naturally, doesn't he? If you play a ball over the top, he'll catch it. And if he doesn't have to consider too much in terms of bearing down on goal, he'll slot it in. But, yeah. you know, Mane, it's like he can make a goal out of nothing. Like, yeah, he, he just finds a run. He's against Arsenal this season, you know, he's when he cuts inside. He explodes. He's, yeah. absolutely, he's such an explosive player, but also he's got this kind of surprise. Again, perhaps coming back to that point about Man United being a surprise that we, he was linked to him, the surprise comes when he strikes the ball sometimes. He's like, where's that come from? And it would just be like a rocket, you know. And yeah. we talk about Salah. I totally agree. I think when you see him playing against players, you're like, "When well, is he working these guys out?" Because Robin yeah. always used to. Robin yeah. used to work people out like a, you know, he's like. So saying that, that that came with his career when he when he went to Real Madrid from Chelsea. He, he was young and he was maybe a bit naive, and going to Madrid sort of brought that into his game. But with salary, he's not as polished as as money, no. you know. And I think you look at just the way he plays, really frustrating. And seeing him in that six month spell he had at Chelsea, it's. It's Firmino, I think, as well at Liverpool. He's basically he's assembled a squad that works really well when everyone's like in form and everyone's fit, and you know that, that first that. eleven. It, yeah, on it that. does yes. because I don't think they have many. You know, people talk about it as being a very like British like thing to go on about mentality and leadership, and you know they talk yeah. about how like other national teams never require these traits, but but here I think it is important in the Premier League, and there aren't many players at Liverpool that really stand up, and you know Jordan Henderson's the captain and. You know, with all due respect to Jordan Henderson, he, he's a good midfielder. But to be captain of a club yeah, like Liverpool, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you know, you want especially when you look at who you inherited right. the captaincy yep. from. Yeah, and yep. yeah, exactly. He's not a Steve, not a Steve Gerrard, is he? And then you look at Firmino, and it's like he's the guy that relied on for goals a lot uh, in the last season and this season. And he's a brilliant goal scorer. But I think now this year, in the past like few weeks, he's realised that the pressure is on him, and he's got to like lead the team, yeah, and he's a, not doing it. That's a that's a really interesting point because. You know, you look at Aguero, you look at the players that just uh, almost enjoy, they re- revel in that. You know, if you take them off the pitch, the, the livid, the top teams would Firmino get in? You know, would he get in any other top four sides? I mean, getting Chelsea would, right now because <laughs> yeah. they've got no players. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, barring that, but that's the thing that Liverpool kind of suffer. You told, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt, because they're greater than some of their parts when they've got the 11 guys that should be playing on the pitch and people always drill down into the statistics about Mane and, you know, when he plays, they win X, when Coutinho plays, they win Y. But it's it rings true because they almost need that to take the pressure off the back four. They almost need that, you know, presence up the pitch, which I always found as a player was, you know, if you're front forward, the, the best defence in the world, you talk about, you know, Ferdinand Vidic or you talk about, you know, the, the you know, Tony Adams and, and Steve Bode or whatever. The, the front players were terrifying teams. The teams were exhausted by the times they got to these guys. So they were great players, but they're not necessarily, you know, not but the best defenders we've seen. Not necessarily better than that, you know. Maybe Colin Hendry and David Mayer. Who is who is his other partner? Uh, Darren Peacock. Oh, Henneberg, yeah. yeah. All of, all original fantasy football legends. Just have any of them in your team. I think that was always a good time. Well, listen, I I don't I don't want to dwell again too much on Liverpool because Huddersfield deserve credit. Um, Moy, and we, we brought him up before. Was in it was a, a story around the game with him. Uh, some oh yeah, um, five pound note. The five pound note. Yes. So, so basically, uh, Huddersfield fan, little kid, found a five pound note at the game and decided to write a letter saying, you know, I'm already scored the goal. Uh, he thinks he deserves this five pound note, so sent it off to the club. And uh, That's great. yeah, just uh, just a, and like Moy's tweeted today saying, oh, it'd be great to meet him and. Uh, 
I'm sure he'll get his, his fibre back or, or something nice from the he club anyway. Australia. You never know. You well, never know. Well, I'd, I'd absolutely love him to spin on some football and nonsense, like a terrible pair of ripped jeans or something. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, kid. A oh, Diamante for the back of his phone shop. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, well, listen, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, we've got a few other stories that have been knocking around the league. I mean, um, to be honest, who, who do we think... Um, well, we were chatting about Man United. Uh, so Lindelof, you were saying there's, there's, there's certain personnel there that Mourinho is he going to is he up against it now in terms of deciding and competing for the titles? Because his demeanour as a manager and his mentality can kind of some kind go in. Well, it's you know, strange very- because up until the Liverpool draw, he sort of kept his mouth shut all season. Mm. He wasn't talking about anyone else, and they draw with Liverpool, and I don't know why he suddenly turned things onto Conte. I don't know whether he's building up to when Chelsea play him on the 5th of November, but he's so, oh, some managers moan and some managers do this, that and the other, and then they don't have a great performance against Benfica. And he just seems to be that when you see the mood shift, something's going on. I don't, I don't mean anything negatively where he's going to lose his job or anything, but something's got him miffed. Yeah. And for him to suddenly come out and start talking about other managers the way he is, it's almost, he's lost his focus. And, it's just a strange one because they started off so well and they were so rampant against sides and then yeah. he suddenly turned negative. Well, that's... It was also... I mean, we talk about him playing Conte there, but, you know, Tottenham this weekend. So that's... You know, that's a terrifying game for Mourinho in the, in the current state. I think, I mean, it's a terrifying game for anyone in the Premier League at the minute. Yeah, definitely an early kick-off and Tottenham will go to Old Trafford and they'll, they'll definitely be thinking about the way they played against Liverpool and... And they could they could get a win there. I mean, they've they've had a few results over like the last ten years at Old Trafford, and yeah. uh, I just think Man United's defence as well. bailey has been missing. I think he should be fit for this game at the weekend. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Lindelof was was terrible on his proper. So uh, he played a little a couple, let a couple of minutes over his head. For yeah, the second goal. And and, and I, I wonder if that's what Mourinho's frustration comes from. Is it that he didn't get all the players that he wanted? He's hinted at that before, and you wonder with Lindelof was he a Mourinho signing? Was you know was he someone that someone at the club recommended and and they yeah. went for because he doesn't look a Jose signing right he's now. Not, he's not he's not played mm-hmm. him, has he? And I think you know ultimately that. That's the message. If if he's not playing him and he's been short of a couple of defenders at times through yeah. injury, then there's something wrong there. I, I do think though he just loves the game. He just he absolutely loves playing like the mind games of other managers and everyone. That you know he he almost like is sort of self defeating because he he just likes to yeah. to get involved in these things when it's totally unnecessary. Yeah. And United were playing really well and. But there is like immediate fascination with how they play as well. Like the the reaction to the Liverpool game. I mean, it was a, a typical United Liverpool dull, you know, boring contest. Like not neither side really been able to find a way through. And it's been loads of those in recent years. So that's it. Move Everyone on. wants it to be like Liverpool Newcastle, don't they? These four yeah. three games, but it's never going to be that. And they expect they almost expect some sort of comic. WWE style, you know, nonsense where it's scripted and it, this is how things are going to pan out. I mean. We, 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 you know, we've had it in the past from other teams, the other end of the table. The, the, the reason I wanted to talk about managers is because uh, who's going to Leicester? Um, Appleton. So Appleton, I thinks well, phenomenal. They're saying it's going to be Puel now, isn't it? Yeah, well, Appleton this is, stepping yeah. down. So this is we were just bring, you know him moving aside. The first thing he did when he brought in was brought Okazaki back in. It was like 
then they win the game. Yeah, scored the winning goal. Yeah. Oh, so this thing, well, hang on a minute, what was the team that won the league? Appleton, Samari, you're pra- pragmatic, hardworking, you know, he, he understands the game very well. He's gone the long way around to get there and I'm sure he can take the criticism of being the physique that he is. Yeah. But um, you say this, guy. I think I, Puel's going in there and is he is he someone of the calibre that can achieve what Leicester want him to achieve? Well, yeah, I, I thought it was harsh on Southampton to to get rid of him the way they did. You know, he, d- don't get me wrong, they weren't the most exciting side to watch. And you look at the fact that they went, was it like the last four home games of the season without scoring? But you look at them now, it's not that they're that much better no. under um, Pellegrino. I think there was some stuff to do with uh, like training methods and things. Like I heard that the players weren't particularly happy with how yeah, the see, season Yeah, and that really frustrates me, stuff like that. Obviously, you'd be, you're the player in the room, Martin, but I just think, you know, for players to start complaining about the, the way that a manager's trying to get his message across, I just think yeah. that they should just go turn up and train. That's what they're paid to do. And I'm not saying they can't have a voice, but in order for it to, to cause the, the disharmony in a club that, you know, means a manager loses his job, I just think that when he's trying to play a certain system and he knows the methods that need to be applied in order to do that, it's not as if he was a rookie. It, it was interesting that they signed, uh, that they went for. Uh, Pellegrino because um, they actually so the fans had complained about lack of goals last season lack of attacking football and the new manager they actually had the same records in the respective leagues so I think Southampton only scored like 41 goals last year and, and Pellegrino um, had the exact same number of goals at Alaves and they both finished 8th and they both okay. reached the cup final so it was almost like a like for like replacement and you're thinking is that, is that, a, che- is that a kind of achievement for yeah, the club to may, get may, him in maybe or? stick with the guy and, and see if he could uh, you know t- take them on but he will. He will be thinking he's got something to prove if he goes to Leicester. And that's it, it a great looks, point. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. I, I think between you see, that's what the club. The club like that at the minute. That's that's what almost like I represents think the, the benefit that Leicester club. have got as well is they've got a manager who's not coming into the Premier League cold, and you know he's he's, he's had a season at Southampton to understand it. It's and a massive I, understanding. I, I know. Yeah. yeah, it's not as if he's he came into the Premier League last year without never watching a Premier League game, but actually living in the the day to day and the weekly grind of it he understands knowing which dressing room to go in when you go to West Ham or something <laughs> yeah. he'll, no he, he'll yeah. definitely he'll have a good idea of how the teams play I mean it's not as if we've seen loads of tactical revolution in the summer and teams have suddenly adopted a different style I definitely think he should keep Appleton though uh, he's handled himself brilliantly yeah. since he took over as caretaker manager I think he's dealt with the media exceptionally for what is a really difficult situation apparently the players were frustrated to see Shakespeare go and you know he seemed to manage that situation really well and he got a couple of wins he won in the League Cup this week and uh, beat Swans at the weekend in what was a six pointer really at this stage of the season so he's someone that I think Puel if he wants to do a good bit PR when he gets in there with the squad keep keep the guy who's done a good job and has a good relationship but it makes sense to keep that I know he's not been there you know long enough to call him a club man but it makes sense to keep someone who's got that connection I think the, the the biggest thing for me yeah, from my playing days, uh, understanding people in those positions was the assistant manager was always like the fluid between the manager and the players. So when you talk about discourse, it's not a language barrier. It's a, you know an understanding. Say talking about training, well, there's ways that managers deal with that, and sometimes it can be quite reactionary and get quite aggressive and go, well, if they don't like it, they'll they'll learn the hard way. 
and then the assistant manager come in and be the kind of mediator between yeah. that. It's and interesting you say that because of the story this week about Chelsea and the players texting Steve Holland about Conte. Perfect, yeah. So, and Steve Holland, I mean, it's like an HR person. It's essentially someone that, you know, if you tell them it, you know you're not telling them in confidence, but at the same time, sometimes you want the message to get back to the boss and it needs to be a filtered yeah. message. And I think that that's the role that these guys can play. Appleton certainly in the box because I would, I would, sorry, certainly in, in the changing rooms because I would want him on my side yeah <laughs> you know I, mean, I, mean? I mean you wouldn't want to be the guy who tells him he has to leave the club so. <laughs> certainly, not, certainly not well listen guys thanks very much uh, for this week Gary you got anything going on at the minute what are you doing this weekend I know you're suffering terribly with an injury which is which is quite serious now yeah it is yeah a slip disc so I'm, I'm struggling with that but I've got my last weekend of NFL duty because it's the, the last um, London series game and then I'm back on football who is it this weekend? The Cleveland Browns, who haven't won all season against the Minnesota Vikings. Who are the home team? Who are supposed to be the, the Browns? Home? Yeah, so they've just lost their star angrier. player. They oh, start to forget his name, but he'd done ten thousand snaps in a row. And That's like, a lot of snaps. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then, then this weekend, and yeah, and we we did the program for it before um, Saturday's game. Printed that, and then on Monday got announced who's out for the rest of the season. So that'd be interesting. Him it's on the cell, cover, I would imagine they're all cell yeah, Twickenham. Yeah, it's great as well actually because. Um, Again, talking about the independent, Jonathan Liu wrote an interesting piece this week about his Always first... Always interesting pieces yeah, from Jonathan. Yeah, and it was really interesting because it was his first time he'd been. He was talking about the, you know, how different it is and all the rest of it. And yeah, so if, I think if anyone wants to dig it out to, to learn a little bit about NFL, but... Um, what was it? Was it positive over... Yeah, overall? yeah, I was just saying about how it's leaving a mark on, on the UK and that. And you know, me, I, I went into it as a complete rookie this year. I'd never watched the game ever. Is that right? Yeah, and um, now I've come out the other side knowing what a snap is and... Um, it's great sport. Talk, yeah. yeah, talking about linebackers and running backs and safeties and yeah. field goals. Hang really? time. <laughs> That's basketball, <laughs> isn't it? Come on. <laughs> I'm sweating here. Uh, okay, moving swiftly on, Matt. What's going on at the minute for you? Good question. Um, well, I'm working on the uh, Totally Football League show, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we well, get we up and talk down. About the rival, we won't talk about rival shows, but we'll talk about football league. Certainly, that's uh, no. I'm no. I'm intrigued because you, you, you've had a few really interesting chats with the guys at Oldham. You were at Oldham recently. Yeah, yeah. I had great. a good chat with Richie Wellens, um, who was under a lot of pressure to get that job from Sadoff and Paul Scholes. Apparently, who said he wanted the job, but uh, but apparently also told Oldham that Richie Same Wellens was the man. Yeah, because love that from Scholes. Well, you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy who wins. Four out of four, do you really? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a difficult one to come into. And yeah. like we said about Appleton, Richie Wellens knows the team really well, having worked as a coach since the summer and uh, having played there previously. Yeah. So, so yeah. he's doing a great job. Yeah, I mean, they won last night, and they're only a couple of places yeah, off top half now. So. No, I'm really, I'm really pleased. With him. As much as I love John Sheridan, and I'm sure as much as he loved me, that uh, you know, from my time at Chester with him, I'm sure he'll be back in some capacity at the club. Oh, you adding can't support. keep him away, can you? You can't keep a bad dog down. But listen, guys, thanks very much for your time. And uh, that was the whistle. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM 
Fabiano and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.